0: Welcome to The Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is returning to The Workplace. Callie Williams-Yoast is the leading authority on high-performance work flexibility. A visionary workplace futurist, strategist, author, and keynote speaker, Yoast is the founder and CEO of the Flex and Strategy Group, a solutions company helping organizations unlock performance and engagement by reimagining how, when, and where work is done. Called one of the most sophisticated thinkers on the transformation of work by the New York Times, her commentary frequently appears in the media, including The Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, USA Today, NPR, and The Today Show. For over two decades, Yoast has led the exploration of the future of work and flexibility, predicting multiple workplace trends and designing a proprietary framework that drives culture for impact. She helps leaders build dynamic, digitally enabled, hybrid, on-site, remote organizations that attract and retain an engaged, diverse workforce, increase productivity and innovation, enhance employee well-being, and respond rapidly to operating disruptions. She coined and codified her concepts on the flexible future of work in the empowering book Tweak It, Make What Matters to You Happen Every Day, and the critically acclaimed work and life finding the fit, the fit that's right for you. In 2018, Yost was named one of the global management thinkers of On the Radar by Thinkers50, and she's been cited as one of four's 40 women to watch over 40. Callie, welcome back to the workplace.
1: Hi, William. It is wonderful to be back with you.
0: You featured on episode 21 last March and how things have changed or how things haven't changed, shall we say.
1: I know. and Who could have imagined, right?
0: So this is such a timely conversation we're having. So I was saying before the podcast on Friday night, our Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, that's our our Prime Minister in Ireland, announced that there was a relaxing of restrictions and there was going to be a phased return to work, which kind of was a welcome uh, announcement and also kind of sending employees and employers into a bit of a spin. And only 15 minutes ago, as we're recording this, this is breaking news, uh, Kelly, Our Honest Elio Varadkar is publishing legislation where there's 13 different grounds under which an employer can refuse the right to work from home. So this is a very timely conversation. So I'm going to start this off what is what are the misgivings or what are the misunderstandings people still have two years in what what are people just not getting?
1: that work has fundamentally fundamentally changed, <laughs> and we have to engage in a process in organizations of meeting in the middle, leadership yeah. and employees, and yeah. stepping back and saying, "What do we need to do, and how when and where do we do this best? We have to reimagine what work is going to look like, take what we've learned in the pandemic can be done, add back in the things that maybe were better when we worked the way we did beforehand Mm. and go forward with what is going to be something new. And that takes time, that takes effort, that takes intention, um, a willingness to experiment and be innovative. And um, it's not going to be a flip of a switch. It's just it just is not, and where I'm seeing conflict is that there's this to your point it's been it's been announced we're going back to the office. The assumption is we're going back the way we were, but people have worked so differently for two years they just don't want to do that, and yet there hasn't been this in between process, this reimagining process where everybody's come to an agreement and said okay this is how we're going to move forward in a new flexible dynamic way knowing you're going to learn things you're going to change things but again recognizing it is a new day and this is the new way we're going to do
0: things it seems like the horse has bolted what is the next step then because beforehand we were talking about you know all the different range of possibilities here you know we need a small bit of structure on this but then we can't have too much structure and I think the danger that certain companies have, it's it's kind of like one size fits all, or what did our neighbors do, or what did somebody else do? And we're just copying each other. Right. But actually, are we are we really taking the approach from an organization design point of view or what are resources, what's the work that needs to get done? Right. And actually, what's the best fit for us? Am I am I correct in that approach?
1: Absolutely. And you know, I think there is um I want there want there is this desire for a consistency through policy when really it's only going to be a consistency through process, yeah. and we're going to have to set initial parameters and that's the stage I'm seeing missing right now is it's like employees are just coming at their employer saying what it is they want, and that's fine and I think employers should have a sense of where are people like what yeah. what are their expectations have that baseline. But then go back to your people and say, okay, that's great. But now how can we all agree that we need to be on somewhat of the same page in terms of when certain, this certain tasks happens, where it does it happen most effectively? When we need to engage in this type of collaboration, in what way is that most effective? And just again, start to identifying those areas of common agreement, make those your initial guardrails you're working within and then give people the um, freedom to work within that framework that you've all established with each other. It's that in-between establishing of the new structure that has not been happening. And you can't necessarily policyize that because there are too many moving pieces and parts to individual jobs and functions within an organization that maybe you can set some general guidelines like we generally want you to think you're going to be here about 50% of the time, or at least two days a week. I've had that happen in organizations. There's a guidance. This is what we expect for most jobs. Then you work from there and say, okay, if that's what the general guardrail is for the enterprise, what does that mean for us in our team and the work that we do? And you can't avoid that. That is the next level of work that has to happen. And that's what's currently missing.
0: I think this is what's happening uh, from the Irish context is they're looking for government to show some leadership right. or some direction or some clarity. And I think it's the clarity piece that's missing. So what is that? Are those guardrails? If we have those guardrails, then we have something or a framework to hang off. Well, then we can, we we have somewhere to start. And this is where the fears and uncertainty comes from is because there's so much flux or so much instability that we need Something just to start the conversation and then work from there. And that's
1: fair. And if the government is able to set a framework that doesn't constrain the necessary innovation and collaboration to then determine what the right fit is and the way work can be done within different um, positions, then that's great. It's just you have to make sure that if you're setting a governmental or an enterprise parameter, that there's enough room within that so that the, it can be adapted to the different realities of different jobs and different people. And that's where sometimes that it's, it it, uh, that's where that balance point is like, where is that point where you do put enough structure around it, but still allow for that room to innovate.
0: And I'm hearing we have core days where you're expected to be in the office, like Monday, Wednesday and Friday, it just seems like I don't want my employees going away on long weekends and take advantage of remote working somewhere else. Have you come across those things or what's that signal sending out to people then?
1: So here's what I've seen. Sometimes that's necessary and sometimes that works. And sometimes groups do come up with, these are our core days that we are in the office. And because this is what we do on those days when we are together. Does that make sense? So it's not just like a random, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but there's no logic behind it. There's no planning and coordination for these are the days when we are together. These are the tasks and priorities that we are intentionally um, going to prioritize and accomplish during that time. Sometimes other groups will decide based upon the work that they do that to have such a rigid um, defined set of days doesn't serve their work. Yeah. So their prior, their primary way of approaching it is we will, based on a week beforehand, say yeah. this is when we're in the office and this is when we will be working remotely based upon the work that we're doing. Again, I have seen different guardrails set in the very same organization yeah. based upon the work the people do. I've been in a law department where it was 250 people. You had some lawyers who didn't get their their docket assigned to them for their um, cases until the night before, so that group was just whatever, whenever, like it was not yeah. determined until the day before where they were working yeah. and when. And yet another group of lawyers who knew they needed to be have on-site presence for various people who came onto the department, they chose. They would all be there on Wednesday to have their group meeting. Then they each took a day a week that was assigned to them and then took another day that was remote. So yeah. those two days remote. And then they just flexed around the other days. And then there were other groups where literally it was very assigned and rigid. These are the days that everybody's here. These are the days that everybody's remote. Again, but it was based upon the work that they did and how that yeah. particular configuration supported what they needed to, the service they needed to provide. Yeah. So that's kind of where we ultimately need to get to. And everybody felt it was fair because they all went through the same process to get there.
0: Okay. Does that make sense? So they focused on what's the work, what's the output versus, you know, do we really need to be physically present to do that work?
1: Correct. And how, when, and where do we do that best? And they collaboratively, came up with those initial guardrails and that framework that they worked within together. And, you know, an, an example from that same project was there was a whole sense at the beginning that administrative assistants cannot work remotely Yeah. At all. And thank goodness, the woman who is the general counsel, she said to me, if the, if the administrative assistants cannot find some degree of flexibility with this, then we will not be doing this because it's not fair. Because okay. she believed that there was flexibility in how they, they worked. So okay. we got in a room with these 30, you know, administrative yeah. assistants and they figured it out and they figured out that really the only thing that they needed to be there for was to greet people who came on the floor, which did not happen actually all that much. And also to cover phones, but then they figured out they could actually cover phones virtually with the technology that they weren't using. They could even yeah. send documents to be printed, right? Like it was all these wonderful things they figured out and they were able to figure out how they could have flexibility. Also in their hours, they did this great kind of Venn diagram of coverage that yeah. so it gave them flexible hours. So the point is they followed the same process that everybody else did yeah. to come up with the flexibility, the flexible way of operating that worked for them in their function.
0: And I like what you're saying. So I'm going to build on that, if that's okay, Kelly. So what you're doing is you're providing them with their own autonomy over what is it that works for them. And each department or each team, whatever it may be, you figure out what best works for everybody. So it's a bit of bit of creativity, a bit of innovation, a lot of compromise negotiation, I'm sure, and a lot of rationale behind it. So a lot of critical thinking. And I... When I, when I was thinking about um, the announcement made by our Taoiseach, that's our Irish Prime Minister, just for our international li- listeners, um, I just kept thinking of Dan Pink's work of that mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And people have changed their sense of, of purpose where they're placing value. Do I really need to be in the workplace? And what's happening for people is that loss of autonomy, the loss of our own time and how we spend it. And where we spend it. So I know you've a, a framework where you go into the different places there. That that framework. So we we might cover that later on. But here's what I'm still struggling with. I'm still struggling with is the whole notion of work seems to be on tasks and something that's tangible. But what I'm I'm worried about is, I say my nephew now um, is starting into the workplace, and who's going to give him that guidance or that mentoring? if there's certain people in my generation, I don't want to be in the office. I want to mind my kids. I want to do all the nice things there. I want to be closer to my family, whatever. But how do we get that shared communication interaction or how do we make sure we have that social fabric where the culture is there? That's that's the missing piece of the jigsaw for me, isn't it? So that's why you return to the workplace is important. I see you smiling there.
1: That's why we have to start with. What do we need to do? And it goes beyond yeah. just the tasks priorities of your job. (laughs) Like it's an elevated conversation. It's like, what do we have to do? Well, we have to stay connected to each other. Well, we have to onboard our new talent. Well, we have to, you know, these are all strategic imperatives on top of, well, we have to do our jobs really well. And these are the priorities and tasks we have to execute that. What do we need to do? That's why we've got to start up here. What is our purpose? And then what are our strategic imperatives that go beyond just simply, you know, put, producing a great report and presenting it. Um, you know, once you start elevating the conversation up those two levels, then you start to say to each other, okay, so how do we onboard the next talent? What does that look like? Where do we do that best? How do we stay connected to each other? What does that look like? And how, when, and where do we do that best? And make that part of the innovation and problem solving discussion as well because people have ideas about that. They really do. Like they will say, you know what, when we're onboarding somebody, this aspect of it, maybe we can't do it exactly this way right now because of COVID still, but ultimately that is better if we try to have X um, training in person and, Oh, I'll give you an example that just came up the other day. So we work with a professional services firm and they've done great. Like, you know, very, very profitable, all great, but they definitely know that young people that have started have missed out on the core opportunity of watching a partner interact with a client. There's just something about watching that interaction that is meaningful. So part of the conversation they've been having and what do we need to do? We need to show, give younger employees that opportunity. So, how, when and where do we do that best? We do that on the client site. When the partner is going to be there, then we are going to intentionally agree that people will all be on site. The younger team members will be on site with that, employee, with that partner to witness that client interaction. So again, these are some of the sort of agreements and guardrails that are being deliberately put in place where everybody agrees up front when these particular things are happening, this is the way we all agree it's done most effectively. And what you're essentially doing is you're coming up with your flexible operating model, the flexible dynamic way you are going to work together. And that is not necessarily focused only on where. Yeah. And that's our problem is we're still focusing a lot of time on the, where are you working? And we're missing the forest for the trees that we're not focusing first on. What are you doing? And then all these other things fall into place much, much more easily. And that's where we have to elevate the conversation.
0: When we were speaking earlier about elevating the conversation, we talked that the the real conversation is not functional managers. It's actually senior level managers. And it's about really understanding that there's a, there's a a flexible transformation to how we approach work. Did I use your words rightly there? Yeah,
1: that's what I'm seeing. I think the, the, the the point of um, at least in the U.S. where I'm seeing it right now is the sticking point where we are at the moment is senior leaders now really do need to get on the same page in terms of we're not going back to the way things were before we have dramatic we've learned a lot of lessons during these past two years that we have to understand how they've affected the way people think they can work. And we, as a senior leadership team, have to begin to say to ourselves, what what does a flexible, dynamic way of operating mean for our organization? Why do we need to do it? What does it look like? And how do we get there? And until they have that shared understanding and that shared agreement that really things have changed, it's going to be difficult for the functional leaders who are often tasked with trying to execute some kind of a new way of working, like let's say technology or HR or even facilities, it's gonna be really hard for them to do their part in the change process, to get the traction they need to um, make the change they know has to happen a reality. But even more so, it's gonna be harder to get line managers and employees to partner and figure out what they need to do differently because they don't see the sense of urgency at the senior leadership level, setting a new vision for the future. Yeah. So again, I think it's, there's this, still this sense that we haven't changed and yet we have. So yeah. that's where I see the, the challenge at the moment.
0: And it seems to me that the, the reset set hasn't happened or we they haven't accepted that there is a new reality out there of no. this flexible working. And, and, and what, what, what is the resistance there? Do you, do you think what, what comes up in conversations?
1: So there are a couple of things, but I'm going to tell you one, why I think the resistance is there. And then what happened this week that I think is ultimately going to change things. So I think that honestly, I think the resistance is there because they literally do not know how to execute. Something new on the other side. If you think about it, this is historic. This is unprecedented. This is there the the normal kind of rule book around how you would quote unquote flexibly work, which is, I guess, to put a policy in place in HR, doesn't hold. Because <laughs> yeah. this is truly about a new operating model. So it's gotta be all hands on deck. Like I like mm-hmm. to say, two years ago in March 2020, when the world shut down. It was all hands on deck. We were operating in a new way. Everybody get on it. Okay. We need to be at the same place right now. Like new way of operating all hands on deck, but here's the cool thing right now we get to choose back Hmm. then. We didn't get to choose. It was a crisis. We had to respond. Now you get to choose. Now you get to step back and say, all right, how do we want to do this and do it thoughtfully and deliberately but it's got to be that same sense of all hands on deck. Like this is now a new way that we need to evolve to. And I don't see that. Now, here's what happened this week in the U.S. that I think is going to make a difference. Finally, where it's going to be, we got to get, we really all have to get serious that this is going to yeah. have to do things differently. Interesting, two things happened that were simultaneously seem unconnected, but I think are very connected. First thing ha- that happened is there's an organization in the U.S. called the Conference Board. And it's a it, it covers the globe in terms of mm. how leaders are thinking about things. And they do an annual CEO survey. And they came out last week and leading the new flexible work reality or the new flexible work normal or, is the number two priority. For CEOs globally. So number two, of all the priorities, number two. Then at the same time, Larry Fink, who is the CEO of BlackRock, which is a huge global investor, people know, right? He does his annual letter to CEOs. And in that letter, the first bolded section was the new way we work. And he talked about it's over. Like the old way, it is over. And basically saying, we as an investment firm are going to be looking at organizations that get that and are, and have changed the way they are operating. So you now have a huge global investor and CEOs saying the same thing. Those two big players have now put this square in on the radar as being a priority. So we're, we're not going back. My hope is that that alignment is now finally going to put the urgency behind a process of reimagining work, one that does intentionally step back and say, okay, where do we do this? When do we do this? How do we do this? What is the structure we need to put in place and where can the flexibility live in a way that's effective and efficient? and start that change process. That's my hope. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. And there was something you said beforehand, because you were saying like you, you've, is it nearly 27 years of research and expertise in this field? So it's not like it just came to the game, like you were primed for this. And, and I was sharing some of my experiences. So I was lucky to do this for the last 10, 15 years anyways, in in fits and bursts, if you want to call it that. Um, and, and, what you had said where we were talk, discussing it is not new the only difference yeah. is scale
1: yeah before the pandemic we were all already working in in many cases in flexible ways uh the problem was it was organic it was uncoordinated there was no strategy or structure around it and so now we have an opportunity to pull all the elements together right the element of place flexibility, space flexibility, time flexibility, uh, work process flexibility, even this the pace of work, time, like all of those elements are now, we are able to bring them together in an intentional coordinated way to now make this, you know, a, an, int- a, a strategic way of operating our businesses and also how we get our jobs done and manage our lives. So there's a real win-win here that, um, I think has a lot of possibilities. So I'm excited.
0: I like your your framework and the, you just mentioned that. And I think that's what a lot of people are probably listening into to say, actually, this is a lot of work. And it seems to me they're overwhelmed. They might be overworked. And because this is so complex, then we're not, we're not giving ourselves the space to act with strategic Intent that was a word or that you had said earlier on or a phrase you used earlier on. and what I'd like to know then is your work with so many companies like I know you''re you're, you're out the door busy, which is great and delighted for you. and you must come across so many pitfalls that people keep making in their assumptions to flexible working. What are the kind of misgivings or pitfalls that people have when they approach this? And sometimes they're not ready for the conversation.
1: Well, I think the first pitfall is being overwhelmed by the fact that they think this is a lot of work because the truth of the matter is it's a lot of work if you don't do it. I mean, I think people think if we just solve for the where we work problem, then it will all be go, (laughs) it will all be over. And then all of a sudden you get in there and you realize, you know, I always feel like is this, is this a book that's um, popular with kids in in uh, Ireland, the, if you give a mouse a pancake, do you guys have that over here? If you give a mouse a pancake, then you give them like, it's like gives of this whole thing, like give a mouse a pancake, then it starts this whole process. And, and I always think of that book when it comes to flexibility where you think, if I just deal with where people are working, then it'll be solved, right? But if, you, but if you do that, then you don't realize you haven't thought about how they're using technology. And then if you do that, you haven't thought about how they're coordinating and communicating with each other with that technology when. And if you don't look at that, then, you know, like it's almost better if you just step back and say, all right, it really is all of these elements that we have to think about and let's just start to think about them together. Let's start to lay out like okay, based upon the work that we do, where could we do it? Well, we could do it here, we could do it at a client site, we could do it at home, okay, so which aspects of that work are effectively done here on site effectively done, it doesn't matter, effectively done at the client, okay, great, we've defined that all right now here are the workspaces that are available to us like how. You know, and just start going through all the elements and thinking them through and putting them together and saying, all right, so this is the structure that we all agree we are going to work within. And then you've got to train people. So my first, the first pitfall is thinking it's making it simple by just focusing on the workplace. You really, it's much simpler if you focus on all the elements, then you've got to train people. Okay. This is the thing that just is like a mind blow for me. I just can't understand why there is not just this first recognition, like, wow, this is a really different way of working. So we yeah. really need to give people a new set of skills and tools. It's like, I mean, it, it's like, it never comes up until we say, now, listen, like now you've set the structure. Now people need to know how to operate within this structure, which means they need to be trained. Now, if you don't train, they're going to be the natural people who just figure it out, okay? Yeah. They're going to be the natural managers that just figure it out. They're going to be the natural people that just figure it out. They are a very small group of people, okay? And that's awesome. Then you need to know, there are always going to be maybe 10, 15% of people who are not going to go there. You are never going to get them to make the change. They're going to be super noisy. They're just going to put them to the side, Okay. There's all the people in the middle, all the people in the middle who are open, but yet kind of uncertain and they're not really confident. And they just, you want to, you want to smooth that out. Okay. You want to give people the tools. And if you've got the people who are sort of just intuitive over here saying like, why are we doing this? What a waste of my time. Fine. Don't do it. Like go keep doing your thing. You're fine. But you've got to give the people in the middle some guidance On now, how do we plan together? How do we coordinate together? How do we execute together? And I'm going to tell you, that means managers need to manage. Okay, we do not train managers. We now need to train managers to manage, to clarify what performance metrics are, to have regular check-ins with people where they're prioritizing and giving updates, like good basic management stuff. Then they also need to know how to coordinate across the different dimensions they are now leading people. They have to be trained teams need to coordinate with each other. And then people need to know, and this gets back to my books. So you have my books, people often wonder like, why'd you write books about managing your work-life fit when you're a work flexibility strategist? Because I figured out really early on that a company can't give you your work-life fit. They can be flexible, but then you need to know how to leverage that and intentionally use it. And people don't know how to do that. They don't know how to put the boundaries up. They don't know how to be intentional about what they need to get done and how, when, and where they're doing it based upon the guardrails that have been set. So again, this is where it's falling apart is you kind of, in trying to simplify it, you're making it more complicated. And the the opportunity is to really simplify and accelerate that system of change and begin to just make, put the innovation in place. So.
0: And I like the, the fact that you're, we have to equip people with the skills yes. through training. Uh, and, and another point you made, and I, I've often, I, I did this three or four years ago with an organization. They were trying to, um, I, I suppose, utilize technology more. And I was going, it, it, how about we look at it from a marketing point of view? You have innovators, earlier adopters, yes. you have laggards. Yes. You know what? Are you focusing, to, you know, and we need to accommodate for everybody here. So we were yep. doing that. This is this is what we need to consider. So, And there's all these different levels that people may not be aware of, but it's, it is actually easier than you think, isn't it? Yeah. There's a little bit of negotiation going in, but we need, and, and I'm really glad that you mentioned boundaries. The organization needs to set boundaries as well to say actually, this is core to our strategy. Here's right. the rationale. If culture is an important part of that, what's the important parts of culture that we need to see Yep. and we let's get to metrics around that what are the behaviors I want to see and this is good practice anyways we should be doing anyways it's, it's just making good, it exactly. more explicit isn't it
1: exactly it forces it this is why i keep saying to organizations like it's kind of making you do the things you should have done anyway beforehand right that you could kind yeah. of get away with i giggle because people always say oh so um, you know how do managers know when people are working right like how do they yeah. know if they can't see them and in every change, there was always a moment where managers would say, I don't know how I'm going to engage their performance if they're remote. Yeah, And I would always say the same thing. Well, that's easy. How do you do it now? And it was just this blank stare. And I'm thinking, okay, so this is now forcing you to do something that you probably should have been doing anyway, which is being a little clearer about what your performance, you know, expectations are. And yeah. that, you know, so again, it's, it, It feels like it's more work, and it is to a degree that you have to be more intentional about what you're doing and how, when, and where you're doing it. But the return you get ultimately is increased collaboration, increased communication within your teams. People really are able to match the task to the way it's done best, which only can improve productivity, right? Right. There are good things that come out of this that make the effort worth it.
0: I'd like to highlight for people your flexible work infrastructure is place, space, tech, time, process, and pace. And sometimes we only focus on place or tech and then that's where Big Brother's coming in or we might be monitoring people. And then that brings up the issue of trust. Do we trust people to do the work? And then actually... Is the process right or the pace right for to do that work? So we're not looking at these through these different lenses that actually give us a fuller picture or the true understanding of what's the real work that needs to be done.
1: That's Uh, a very good point about trust. And ultimately, that comes back to the culture of shared leadership that has to be built that you operate within this new flexible model, right? This new flexible way of operating is resting on a foundation of shared accountability and trust. So it's funny you bring up the technology piece because I do see that. And what my experience is, is as long as people understand why there might be metrics that are being drawn from technology to understand how, when, and where work is being done, as long as they understand why those metrics matter, okay yeah and how they're being used there's less resistance to using that data than if it's being taken without people knowing that you're doing it and yeah. there's no understanding up front as to why it matters okay yeah. so oftentimes I'll use this this law department again as an example there was a engagement tracking software called law manager that tracked how the different engaged different um, cases were moving through the system and what finally happened was employees realized that if I were doing my work in law manager my manager could just see the work was being done and that gave me the flexibility to work the way I was was going to be able to work most effectively so once that was was understood by all parties. There was a less resistance to managers tracking engagements and and cases in Law Manager, and so it wasn't like it, was, it became a monitoring. It was more of a just understanding how the work was progressing. The other thing is if you have a, a you know if you're using the time somebody's logged on versus when they're logged off versus keystrokes versus. All, that's when it gets a little goofy and it's like, okay, it's more, are they performing for you? Are they easily accessible? Are they coordinating with other people? That's more important. So you have to make sure the data you're getting matches the purpose and people understand what it's all about.
0: And it is about what you're measuring uh, as well. And and something else that, that came to me recently then is when we, First of all, you have certain people who didn't want to leave the office. No, 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 we're going we're gonna to lose all of, of this. And there's a certain amount element that we've lost, you know, like certain relationships that we have at work or, you know, we're just not having those chance interactions or something like that. And, and I often am r- reminded of like Kugler-Ross you know the work of Kubler-Ross where we're going to the shock and denial and there's a bit of anger and depression and then acceptance and maybe a bit of bargaining and I think coming back into the workplace we have to realise that certain people are so used to that autonomy that there is going to be a certain sense of loss and shock, is this really happening and there is a danger that if we don't get this right we're going to lose people and my biggest fear, and this is what I was talking about, uh, Sally Helgeson, which I mentioned you by the way in your your book, which was which was great. Thank you. And, and that I have to, say, I'm going to go back to that book, work and life. Life, you know, finding that fit that's right for you. There's so many resources in this for listeners. So, but but there is a certain element that, if 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 I'm anxious about returning to the workplace, what are the questions I need to ask myself, or what do I need to accept? like if somebody's listening in and, and they're saying, listen, you know, they might be saying, um, when I'm at home, I can do it all. If I'm, if I'm expected to be at the office, I can't, whether it's it's childcare, whether it's chores, whether it's exercise, work-life balance, what advice would you give to someone if, you know, if they to find themselves getting anxious about, you know, going back to the workplace or the office itself, the physical office? Two things. One,
1: um, I think most people are okay going back to the office, at least. So Nick Bloom, who is a a professor at Stanford, has done a lot of research into what ultimately will be the um, mix of on-site and remote. And I happen to agree with what he's ultimately projected, which is it's going to be most people are going to be somewhere between two or three days a week on site. Okay. That, and because they want that. And in my experience in, Pre-pandemic, flexible work transformations, when given freedom to choose, teams often did come to that two to three days a week. So I think that for most people is genuinely what they want. So then the question becomes, um, how do you make that transition to something you know you may want, but you're moving now from I'm being full-time remote. And I do think there needs to be a recognition that we're going through a transition. And this is where the work of a social psychologist named William Bridges, we've been using it in our work. And in fact, we just did a series of trainings where at the beginning of the training, we asked people, how are you feeling about this transition to a new flexible way of working? And there's a whole list of feelings that you could, and some are very positive, some are more neutral, some are more net, you know, less positive. And what we found across the board. So we recently did a training with 400 managers and 600 employees and the managers who went through the training, most of them, let's say 70% hopeful. Yeah. 37% said uncertain. Okay. And then we did it with the man, the employees, same thing. Most, like 65, 70% hopeful, 27, 30% said uncertain. And there's a high likelihood that those two feelings are existing at the very same time, right? At any point in time, hopeful and uncertain. And so I think it's important, at least over these next few months, that we let that hopefulness be celebrated and supported at the same time, let it be okay when you're uncertain. And don't feel bad about it. And just know it's, you're going to feel these things. And as you get more comfortable, as you grow into this next way of being, you'll master that too. You really will. And this is where I think we have to be very patient with each other. One of the things we emphasized in this training to the employees and to the managers is this is where you both are. So give each other the safety, the psychological safety to try something new and maybe fail. Yeah. Be able to say, I'm not comfortable right now and have it be okay. Yeah. And move through this next phase together. That's what I would say.
0: And we talk about, you know, the process and your training with those managers and employees, which is a, it's a, it's a large scale that you're doing that work. And if I was, uh, I suppose, a CEO listening in and I wanted to know more about your process or the journey that you would bring my company on, what are the different stages that you might bring me on? Like, do you start with the overall strategy, envisioning piece and mission? Um, What is the journey that you might bring me on then?
1: Well, it really just depends on where the organization is. I think with anything, and this is always the the, the (laughs) great... We have to do discovery, right? Like, yeah. like every consultant starts at the beginning, yeah, exactly. right? I, I, know, I know, right? But it's true. <laughs> I mean, you want to discover where they are and you want to help them understand first and foremost, how has work transformed over the last two years? Get a baseline understanding of where your people are, where your managers are, you know, just really get, a you know, that current state understanding first because there is a, an odd hesitation to survey employees, which I get. In some ways, it's almost like if we don't ask them, then we don't have to know.
0: <laughs> yeah, like,
1: you gotta ask them because you need to know where they are and they will understand if you don't do exactly what it is they have said, but you at least have to have acknowledged you wanna hear it, okay? So, yeah. right? And the same thing would be said for managers. Like, what's their experience? So I'll tell you what we found. Okay, so we found in, in recently in an organization, employees are like, I rocked it, man. My, my productivity was amazing working. Remote. And then you had the managers over here who were like, you were good, but I don't know about amazing. Okay, like, and then you yes. just see, okay, there's a gap here. Okay, there something was yeah. not working. And then you can begin to unwind what it was. And in that case- Truly, the managers had not been very clear about performance metrics. Employees legitimately felt they were awesome that they had survived a pandemic and a radical disruption of the way they worked and managing their lives. So that was true. That is true. They should be given credit for that. But managers also sometimes felt that they themselves had to take on some of the slack for the work that wasn't getting done. And they just felt not resentful, but a little bit like, yeah, we need to reset this because I can't keep going this way. And so again, it was just a good way to understand where the disconnect was between these groups and begin to identify from that, how we now need to move forward in the next iteration. So you have to discover where you are. And then to your point, then you've got to move on to the leadership needs to get on the same page in terms of, What is the new flexible work reality for my organization? Why does it matter? How are we going to execute this? And really put out there that urgent call to action. Because as I said before, I think we're in an all hands on deck, like moment again, where now we got to all work together to figure out what this next iteration is going to be. And then you put in place, right? The training, start putting the guardrails in place with each other. What does it look like? Training, piloting. Assessing and at the same time aligning the other parts of the organization around this new way of working. I mean, it really is this deliberate process.
0: And, and I like it's a deliberate process, it's consensus building as well. Yep. What is the work that we really do? And it is slow work, it is valuable work. And something he had pointed out before is you're a lot more productive because then you're not putting out fires or dealing with conflict or dealing with. HR or legal issues, um, and there's some a point there that you've met there, it's a bit like, if we don't ask the question, it's, it's like willful neglect of your employees, so by even engaging with that, you're showing people that you care, you know, and it's really about making sure that we want to create a work environment that's that has a psychological safety that you talked about there, that Amy Edmondson work, and it's reassuring when I listen because that's exactly my approach. I kind of go, okay, where you're at, what are your challenges? What do you think your blind spots are? And I, I, is it okay if I ask you from, a, you know, a facilitator, an expert yeah, point of sure. view, like I often go in with people and I go, I need to have a relationship with you or I can give you a tough message. And I'm like, I can't go to the next step unless I know I have permission to hold you accountable or to challenge you. You like do you take a similar approach? Because I can be fairly challenging though. Know? Like and I like the most senior person in the room, I'm probably even more challenging if I'm honest. <laughs> but I I give I, I tell them that in a one-to-one if I'm honest.
1: Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think um it's also that's the role you play, you know, that's the tension that you have to hold, right? You go in seeing the possibilities for them, but they have to be where they are. And so how do you kind of hold that space where you can acknowledge where they are and whatever their resistance is, help them see the possibilities, show them a roadmap that could get them there. And then at some point they have to decide if they're ready to go there. Right. And you have to be willing to say at a certain point, uh, I you're, you can't move forward now. Like I have another client where the the head of strategy, head of administration, technology, and HR all got together, created this wonderful structure to analyze how their hybrid work pilot had been going and what they were going to evolve to when they figured out different roles that maybe could have more flexibility to it. The problem was senior leadership was just not aligning around a new vision for what all this meant. And the head of administration basically just said, do we move forward with this new model for the staff? Like I, I and I said, quite honestly, I, I wouldn't, I, I, you can't, because you don't know what they want. They are not telling you the way they're envisioning this organization operating. And until they do that, your chances are, you may misalign with them. And then you're going to execute this whole next iteration of your hybrid flexible model with your, your administrative staff, your, the, the staff. It's a long, anyway, this part of the business and you run the risk of having it fail. And so now they're working with their senior leadership team to try to get them to be more specific and engage around creating that vision and defining how the work is going to look going forward. Then they'll come back and they'll move forward, either adjust what they've put together in terms of their new structure but it will have a higher likelihood of succeeding than had they gone forward without this other piece.
0: As managers and as leaders, we need to see this as what's best practice. What are the clear outcomes? What are the performance indicators? What's the strategy? Are we aligned on strategy? What's the culture that we want? How do we deal with conflict? How do we negotiate? What's a high performance culture? What's team dynamics? So it's always, it's, Good practice, just through the lens of your infrastructure, um, and and I suppose best practice. And, and it's also known, and this is something I, I covered in a coaching conversation about this this morning. I prefer for people to view it as hygiene. Hmm. Like if you only do this twice a year, how clean is that going to be? Yeah, you know, so it's constant work and I think this is, is this is where that work avoidance comes in is that oh that's too much work. Well we need to dedicate people to that otherwise we're gonna lose people from the organization. We lose our competitive advantage. And this is where that guy from uh BlackRock CEO guy uh Think's is it? Larry Fink. Yeah. This this is this is his whole approach. This is where the money is going to be invested. Yep. So because they be. know
1: they know, and this is where the work of one of my favorite academics in this area, Alex Edmonds. He's a professor at um, London uh, London Business School, and he wrote a book called Grow the Pie. And he did the most amazing research about twelve years ago, where I first learned about him. Is he studied? He compared two. Um, stock portfolios, one of the best companies to work for, and just a regular portfolio. And he found a material difference in the return on the best companies to work for. And the, the the differentiator was the focus on employee satisfaction. And they just, another group just looked at his research again to see if it still held, and it still held. And to his point, that's that's sad, okay? Because by now, the market should have baked that in. You know, 12 years later, you should get no yeah. no difference in your stock price by focusing on employee satisfaction, but you know what? You still do because that is not a focus. And as part of this um, under, this growing understanding of the importance of ESG practices, yeah, that's the S, right? Which is how you're treating your employees, how you are meeting them in the middle to create an environment where they can be their most effective best. And man, oh man, employee satisfaction post-pandemic flexibility, number one, okay? So what Larry Fink is basically saying is this new world of work is something we are going to look at because if you're not focused on it, it's going to show up in your stock price as a detriment. But those that do, it will show up in your stock price as a, a premium return. Now, ultimately, I hope we get to the point where you don't get a premium return anymore because everybody's doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's not the case now. So to your point, you've got to keep making this part of your day-to-day um, evolution of how your organization is operating in a new world, right? And it has to be ongoing, because you're never done. But again, we know, we're not okay, we were doing it anyway before the pandemic. We were just not doing it intentionally. So all of the things that you just mentioned in terms of team dynamics and all those aspects of that go into building a great organization become even more critical when you're working in a flexible, dynamic way. And that's really what this is about, to your point. It's just like doing the things we knew were were really critical, but now not having a choice and benefiting from it.
0: So if you were to give... A couple of top tips for managers to get this right with their team before they go back into to the workplace. We're on the phased part now where it's just been introduced and legislation has been, I suppose, rushed in, if you want to call it, because it was only announced on Friday and now we're here on Tuesday. You know, what what advice would you give to managers?
1: First thing I would do is ask your people what they want. Okay. Say, tell me what you, tell me what you want. And don't be afraid to ask that question. Say, I can't guarantee we're going to give, I just want to know where you are. Okay. Yeah. And frame it as a now and a next. This is mm-hmm. also very helpful. Right now they could be feeling one way, but ask them, look six months from now, imagine that we're past, past this sort of period of uncertainty. What do you want six ne- months from now? Then sit down you as the manager and say, based upon the work that we do, And what I'm seeing everybody say, are there, is there a commonality in what they're putting forward? Okay. Do I see that for the most part, they're saying two to three days a week on site? Do I see for the most part that they're saying, you know, I want to work these core hours or am I, what are they saying? Then look at the work that's done. You take a first pass and say, all right, based upon what you've said to me, here's where I agree. And here's where I see we may have to do things differently. What do you think? Have them come back to you and say, I agree. I disagree. You're the manager, though. You're going to say at the end of the day, I am going to make the final decision as to what this structure is going to look like for us, where we work, how we work, when we work, and then start from there. Say, okay, we've come to this agreement. Here's how we're going to work based upon these things that we need to do and elevate that conversation above just tasks and priorities. Say, we know it's important we keep our culture. How do we do that? Like ask them to come up with ideas with you and then view it as a pilot. Start, like say, we're going to start this on, I don't know, February 15th, okay? And then we're going to regroup in three months and see where we are and see what's what's worked and what hasn't and just start from there. Now, that is very basic, what I just laid out for you. I still believe yeah. all the other things that I have said before are actually very important. However, yeah. if you really just need to start somewhere, just start there.
0: I'm a mediator. And what you were doing there is really highlighting what are the shared interests and shared needs. That like that pin model from Yuri and Fisher, you know, the Harvard negotiation yeah. model. And what you're doing at the start is saying let's let's share our stories. Let's find out what are the issues, the the red buses, you know, the things that are, are causing contention. What are the green things? What are the things that we both agree on that are great? The green buses. And, and then, what are the solutions we can come up with as part of that? And then agreement. So it's, it's uh, I suppose reassuring to hear uh, from you on that.
1: This is all grounded in very, very, very well established, well researched. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is not stuff that just comes out of nowhere. It's not. Yeah. And so everybody should be reassured that you know, whenever you, um, whenever you begin a process, just start where you are. Okay, and keep it as simple as you can, and know that you will evolve from there and the best solutions are ones where they are determined together as a team
0: so usually when i 'm on a podcast Kelly, I sometimes refer to other ones that would be oh, useful for listeners yeah. so you, you, you mentioned e s g we have the mature organization with Stuart Woolard and also Andrew Campbell on organizational design. So especially when are going to Perfect. process and managing yep. that, and, and, and that's uh, useful as well. And also we have another podcast, which I mentioned before, um, episode 21. So this is all the time we have for today on episode 51. Callie, I'd just like to, if people wanted to know more about your services or if there's anything that you'd like to say to our listeners, I'd like to give you the opportunity now.
1: I just am so grateful, William, that we have these conversations. This is a global issue and I'm just always so happy to hear that everybody around the world is thinking about this and we're all in this together and the more best practices and the more inspiration we can give each other, the better. So I thank you for that. You can go to my site. Uh, flex strategy group you can see what we're up to go to my blog I'm on Twitter I'm on LinkedIn right now my thing is to go to LinkedIn and comment on all the articles that are out there about this where I often do not agree (laughs)
0: with what is being said I love your art so if you want to go to
1: LinkedIn if any article comes across your radar and you're like oh I wonder like go to LinkedIn there's a chance I'm saying something (laughs) so
0: I love that (laughs) I I love your approach to LinkedIn you're gonna go no that's not good practice. Wait, I tell you, you know, and, and, and I when for your calling people out to go, oh, by the way, I'm doing this for 25 years. You know, yeah. I've got this. I love yeah. your approach. For play to you. um, uh, Callie, thank you so much for your time. It was so good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on to the Workplace Podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for your time today. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your externing learning and development partner. Provide your executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organisation.